we turn our attention to God's word, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to open your word. I pray now that your Holy Spirit would be our guide and our teacher with exactly the words and the message that you have for us today. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now which way do we go? It's the question we've been considering together as a church this fall. When we find ourselves standing at the crossroads situations of life, what decisions do we need to make and how do we need to act if we want to accomplish what God has called us to? What decisions do we need to make and how do we need to act if we want to be a blessing to our community and a transformational, life-changing force in our culture? This fall, we've been looking at the history of the nation of Israel as they found themselves standing over and over again at the crossroads. We've looked at the decisions that they would need to make if they were going to follow God's plan for them as a nation, and we've used those decisions to build a framework for ourselves to use when we find ourselves standing in the crossroads situations of life a framework to help us make decisions if we want to individually and as families and as a church follow God's plan. And what we found from the examples that God has given us from Israel's long journey is that when we find ourselves standing at the crossroads, God calls us to be courageous and good. He challenges us to be open to what his plan really is He wants us to be different and to be generous. We will need to be strong and brave and responsive to his call. And as we draw our series to a close today and we begin to walk forward together into our future as a church, we've got one more crossroads question to consider. What if it doesn't work? What if we walk forward courageously and bravely in response to the call that we think God has given us and it just doesn't work out the way we think it should? Because let's just be honest, sometimes it just doesn't work out the way we think it should. One of the joys and heartaches of being a pastor is getting to walk with people through the trials of life. And I know for many of you, things just aren't working out the way you think they should or the way you hoped they would. Sometimes we face trials and difficulties because of bad decisions we have made, but sometimes we face trials and difficulties even when it seems like we're doing everything right, and perhaps because we are doing everything right. So what happens if we walk away from the crossroads doing our best to follow God's plan We walk away courageously and open and different and generous and strong and brave and we're responsive, but it just doesn't work out. What happens if we work as hard as we can, but we don't get the new job or the promotion? What happens if we study, but we still fail the test? What happens when out of nowhere we're faced with a health crisis or financial difficulties? What happens when we're marginalized because of our faith, our political positions, our race, our gender, or our age. 
Because let's face it, it just doesn't always work out. Christianity is not some magic formula that we follow to fix all the problems of life. Just get the right mix of prayer and quiet time and church activities and worship and then presto, life is good. No. We live in a messed up world and sometimes life is just hard. Our faith gives us the framework to understand the brokenness and it gives us a framework to deal with the brokenness but there's no guarantees that it will fix the brokenness. So what if it doesn't work? How will we respond then? Will we think we got it all wrong, we misunderstood God? Or will we think that we did something wrong? Or will we be mad at God for not holding up his end of the bargain? Mad at God because we sacrificed for him and he didn't deliver what we think he promised us. I sat in the hospital with someone recently who said to me, doesn't God know that I, want to, I don't want to get better for me? Doesn't God know that I only want to get better so I can take care of my family? Doesn't God want that too? How will we respond if it doesn't work out the way we think it's supposed to? And that is the final crossroads question that we need to answer. So to answer that question, we need to make one more stop in our journey with the nation of Israel. And our final stop is with the prophet Habakkuk. A few weeks ago during our Harvest Home celebration, we talked about Josiah, who was the great boy king, who completely reformed Judah. Well, Josiah died in battle against the Egyptians in 609 B.C., his middle son succeeded him as king, but after three months, he was imprisoned by Pharaoh and replaced by his older brother Jehoiakim as a puppet king. And it's during Jehoiakim's reign that Habakkuk prophesies. So the nation is now living under political oppression, and they once again begin drifting away from God. They've given up on all of Josiah's reforms, and they've reverted back to their old ways of living and their bad habits. And it's easy, at least it's easy for me to understand and empathize a little bit with the Israelites in this situation. If you've ever tried to break a bad habit, you know how easy it can be to fall back into it. Especially when the things around you just aren't going so well. It's easy to give in to the temptations. It's so easy to justify, so easy to give up the fight whether it's a change you're trying to make in your personal life or something new you're trying to learn or an organizational change, it's easy to give up too soon. It's easy to give up when we find ourselves facing hardships. It's easy to give up because, let's face it, change is hard. And when we don't immediately see the results we're hoping for, we can too easily become fooled into thinking it's not working. And then we give up too soon. Let's look back one more time into our own history as a church. In 1931, when they made the decision to switch their language from Swedish to English. Here's the thing. I doubt the next Sunday after they made that decision, the church was suddenly full with a bunch of English speakers. 
Hey, it was 1931. They couldn't put posts on Facebook or send out a few Instagram chats. Right? It probably took a really long time for that decision to look successful. It probably took a really long time for the community of English speakers to recognize that the Swedish church on the corner was now a place that welcomed them and a place where they could go and safely explore God. And in those first weeks and months and maybe even years after they made that decision, when no one was coming and they were worshiping in a language that was difficult and uncomfortable, it would have been so easy for them to give up. And that's exactly what the Israelites did. The Israelites gave up. And the moral fiber of the nation was torn apart by the Egyptian philosophy of life that prioritized personal comfort and pleasure above all else. And even though Habakkuk was written thousands of years ago, the situation and the issues are as contemporary as our morning news feeds. But what we find in Habakkuk is an unusual message for the prophets of his generation. Instead of gloom and doom like Isaiah and Jeremiah, Habakkuk actually ends up giving a message of hope and encouragement to the people. And that is what God has for us today. A message of hope and encouragement. There's a lot packed into this short little book, but we're just going to drop in on three passages. And what we'll see in these three passages is that when the prophet of God finds himself at the crossroads, the first thing that he does is complain. Yep, not so different from most of us. Habakkuk begins by complaining to God and complaining against God. And we see that God gives Habakkuk a somewhat unexpected answer to his complaints. And God's unexpected answer causes Habakkuk to have to reconsider. He doesn't necessarily reconsider his position, but what he reconsiders is his attitude. He still wants the same thing, but God helps him to see it differently. God helps Habakkuk to see that there's a much bigger picture. And once Habakkuk sees that bigger picture, the entire tone of his plea changes. It changes from this tone of interrogation to a tone of intercession. So let's jump in. In the beginning of the book, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. How long, Lord, must I call for your help? but you do not listen or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The, wick, the wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Habakkuk begins by complaining. He says, hey God, have you seen what's going on around here? Don't you remember, God, how good it was when Josiah was the king? Why aren't you doing something about this? Why are you letting all of this happen? 
And this has been the refrain of godly men and women who find themselves in the midst of personal or national or international turmoil for generations and generations. We're so prone to complaining. Hey, God, don't you see what's going on around here? Hey, God, have you seen what's going on in our political system? Hey, God, have you seen what's going on in our communities? Have you seen what's going on in our church and in our families? Terror is on the rise. Our political discourse is devolved into fear-mongering. Drug abuse in our community has reached epidemic proportions. The church is in decline and the country's fracturing across racial and cultural and economic divides. Everywhere we turn, the brokenness just surrounds us. Hey God, how long? Hey God, what are you doing? Hey God, why aren't you answering my prayers? Sin is abounding. The temple has once again been abandoned and God seems both indifferent and idle. And God's lack of attention results in his law being ignored. And when the divine law is ignored, civil justice can never prevail. And so Habakkuk is in agony over what it seems like God's delay to act. And often we find ourselves in agony too over God's delay. And Habakkuk's response to finding himself and the nation at a crossroads once again is to complain. And often that's our first response too especially when we feel like we've been there before, when we feel like we've been down that road before and had that conversation before and nothing has changed, can become so easy for us to complain. We all have them, those conversations that we feel like we have over and over and over with someone, yet it feels like nothing ever changes. Maybe it's a discussion with your boss or your spouse or your kids or a friend And the first time we have that discussion, we're probably really nice and thoughtful, and we say, hey, have you ever thought about? But by the 10th time we have that conversation, we get a little whiny. How long, God? How long are you going to let this go on? Don't you see what's going on, God? Don't you see what's happening to me? God, this isn't how it was supposed to work. But God was not indifferent or insensitive, or idle. God was still at work. God's plan was still moving forward. He was just doing something unexpected, and he was using unexpected people to do it. So let's take a look at God's answer to Habakkuk's complaining. He says, look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. When we start complaining against God, it's usually a sign that we've become a little too myopic in our vision, a little too focused on ourselves and on what's happening right around us. And when we get too myopically focused, we risk missing the bigger picture of what God is doing. So God responds to Habakkuk. 
hey, Habakkuk, let's not forget which one of us is God. Hey, Habakkuk, you think you understand, but you're only seeing part of the picture. Hey, Habakkuk, I'm working. I'm just not constrained by your small way of thinking about things. And we learn from Habakkuk that we need to develop a much bigger perspective of God. We need to develop a bigger perspective about what God is doing. We need to look at what God is doing over time. We need to broaden our horizons to see where God is working. And we need to recognize that God is playing the long game. We want it all to work out. We want to win. We want it to be easy. We want God to wave his magic wand and fix it all. Better yet, we actually want God to give us the magic wand so we can wave it and fix it exactly how we want it to be. But we should be very thankful that God is playing the long game. We say, hey God, let me help you out here. I'm positive I know what you would really want, so since it doesn't look like you're doing anything, why don't you let me do something? The problem is we don't really know as much about God's plan as we think we do. We have to be open to the fact that how God is going to solve the problem might look different than how we would like it to be solved. And it might not happen when we would like it to happen. God answers Habakkuk's complaint. He says, take a look around, Habakkuk. I'm not unaware. I'm not ignoring the situation. In fact, I'm working. Take a look around, Habakkuk. Let me amaze you. I'm at work, and you wouldn't believe it even if I told you. And if we let him, God will surprise us too. We have a big God. We have a very big, big God. And if we will expand our views away from ourselves, we will be utterly amazed too. We will be stunned and astounded and dumbfounded. You wouldn't believe it even if I told you. God reminds Habakkuk about the outcome. He says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we need to be reminded of the outcome too. So spoiler alert, God wins. We're in the middle of a story whose outcome is certain. God wins. God will overthrow all earthly kingdoms and he will establish his kingdom. Yes, he will even overthrow America. Because the American kingdom is not God's goal. God's kingdom is God's goal. And God's kingdom should be our goal too. So God reminds Habakkuk, the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of me. But it may not happen how we think it should, and it may not happen when we want it to. So how do we respond when it doesn't work out? Let's take a look at how Habakkuk responds. He says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. 
Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. Habakkuk's request hasn't changed. What has changed is his tone. His tone of accusation has disappeared. And it's been replaced with submissive worship. Habakkuk responds, I hear you, God. I see what you've done in the past. I know what you've promised to do in the future. But what about now, God? Do you think you could do something now too? That's what I want, God. But it's okay either way. Either way, I'll praise you, God. And it's the same attitude that Christ has when he prays the night before he is crucified. Going a little further, he fell on his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And it's how Christ taught us how to pray. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Habakkuk believed God could transform the culture because he'd done it in the past. And Habakkuk believed God would transform the culture in the future because it's what he has promised to do. Habakkuk still wanted God to transform the culture in the present because he was so overwhelmed by what was going on around him. But Habakkuk changes his focus. And in, because he changes his focus, he changes his tone. Habakkuk refocuses himself on who and what instead of being focused on how and when. Habakkuk refocuses on who God is and what God has promised instead of focusing on the fact that God wasn't responding how Habakkuk wanted him to or when Habakkuk wanted him to. Where is our focus? Is our focus on the who and the what or is our focus on the how and the when? Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in this pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. So what's the answer to our last crossroads question? How do we respond when things don't work out? Habakkuk says, be joyful. No matter the consequences, the response is praise. No matter the results, the response is praise. In the midst of absolute ruin, the response is praise. Because inner peace and joy do not depend on outward prosperity. This is captured so beautifully by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans, where he writes, No, 
In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our response is not just to endure our present circumstances. Our response should be to praise God and have joy regardless of our circumstances because joy is found in a person and not a situation. If you're in the middle of a situation that's not what you expected, if you're scared about the future, if everything is falling apart around you, Shift your focus. Stop focusing on the how and the when. And instead focus on who God is and what he's accomplished for you through Christ. Focus on what he has promised. Focus on what he has called you to do. And what's the best way to do that? What's the best way to shift our focus? It's really quite simple. Read the Bible. Talk to God talk to other people. If you're doing it, do it more often. If you're not doing it, start. Download the Bible app to your phone and start a reading plan. Not sure where to start? Start with the book of John and the Psalms. Read a chapter of each every day. Read it and then at the end of it, just say, thank you, God, for who you are. I do it every morning with my first cup of coffee. Maybe that would be a good time for you. Or maybe you want to listen to it in the car as you drive to work. Or maybe lunch or just before bed would be the best time for you. It doesn't matter how or when. What matters is who and what. When we shift our focus from how and when to who and what, then we can rejoice and be joyful. Habakkuk begins with an interrogation of God. And he ends with intercession to God. By following Habakkuk's Habakkuk's example, by shifting our focus from how and when to who and what, our worry will be transformed into worship. Our anguish will be transformed into adoration. Our fear will be transformed into faith. What begins with a question mark ends with an exclamation point. That is the essence of our faith. So here we are. It's time to walk because we can't stay standing at the crossroads forever. There's a community out there waiting for us. God's call for this church hasn't changed over the past 126 years. We've been called to reach the yet to come with the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to do that, then we're going to need to be courageous and good. God's challenging us to be open to what his plan really is. He wants us to be different and to be generous. We're going to need to be strong and brave. We'll need to be responsive to his call. But most of all, Despite where the path may lead us, 
And despite what the path might lead us through, we must choose to be joyful. We must choose to sing, and we must choose to worship our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are always at work. Whether we see it or we recognize it or not, we thank you that we can rest in the fact that you are always at work. You're at work in our lives, you're at work in our families, you're at work in our community, you're at work in our world. We thank you that we can rest on the knowledge that your plan will not fail. That we find ourselves in the midst of a story whose end is certain. And we take confidence in that. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.